Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pop and Schlock podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. This week, we continue our October tradition of looking at significant horror releases as we examine David Bruckner's long gestating reboot of Clive Barker's Hellraiser, now streaming on Hulu. We're dedicating this episode to the memory of our good friend Vincent Kakua, who was a true blue dyed-in-the-wool horror aficionado, and we just hope that our examination of this film does right by him. He will be sorely missed by anyone who was lucky enough to know him. As always, we want to thank our listeners for their continued support of the show. Be sure to rate and review us on whatever platform you follow us on, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or something else that I've somehow forgotten. Also, if you would like to be more direct in your support of the show, you can find us on Patreon. Subscriber perks include early access to episodes and more, so be sure to visit patreon.com slash popandschlock for more details. Anyway, let's get down to business with episode 17, Hellraiser. And and the show is now officially on the air because my microphone is working this week, so we can get into it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Pop and Schlock. This week, we are going to be jumping into a very special episode, which we want to state outright is going to be dedicated to our good friend, Vincent Kakua, who you We wanted yeah. to wait for a horror episode uh, yeah. for you. And this is definitely a good one to talk about. Uh, we're going to be diving into the new 2022 reboot of Hellraiser, which I was greatly looking forward to for a lot of reasons. Um, and I think for the most part, I walked away very happy with what I saw. Um, yep. It's, it's very, very rare that you'll see a horror franchise get rebooted in the modern era and everybody's going to be pleased that just it, it doesn't happen um there are some that do better than others obviously um i feel like as far as modern horror remakes of classic franchises i feel like the platinum dunes Texas Chainsaw Massacre from back in 2003 did a pretty good job and has a respectable following. But then you have some of the others that have come along in the last few years, and they just don't quite connect in quite the same way. I know that the uh, the Robert England-less Nightmare on Elm Street did not connect very well, nor did the Friday the 13th reboot. Um, so this was, I believe, the last of the iconic I 80s have, horror franchises I, to get rebooted. I have and heard good things about the Candyman remake. I just haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen it yet. It uh, is In fairness, I work in, in fairness, my work schedule is constant. I don't I just, have weekends. I just figured, I just figured with, uh, with all the elements there, as far as what went into producing that movie, I figured that would have been one that you went out of your way to see. I, it, I, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, it's on yeah, my, it's on I, my... I need to do a better job. 
Yeah, it's on my Sorry, it's on my ahead. October it's it's on my October uh, watch list. I'm gonna rewatch it. Um, so. For those of you who have followed the show for quite some time, you know that uh, myself and uh, my wife, Tori, who has been on the show several times, um, Tori does not like horror movies. Uh, Absolutely has basically avoided them for her entire life. Well, this month we agreed that we were going to try to show her some horror films. And uh, Candyman is on that list. We're going to do a double feature with the original with uh, Virginia Madsen. and very nice. We're going to watch the new one. and that's something that we've kind of gotten into so far. We did. Uh, we started the month by watching the 1970s Halloween and then bookending it with 2018. And she's sort of starting to learn what a lot of horror aficionados know in that a lot of horror movies aren't necessarily what you would call scary. It's more about the atmosphere. It's more about the experience. You're not going to – they're not – it's very, very rare that you'll see something that is so frightening that it's going to give you nightmares. Um, and if you do take away something from a horror film that gives you complete and total nightmares, then you've witnessed something special. Um, and that's, uh, as we started watch, as I was preparing to watch Hellraiser 2022, um, I went back and I rewatched, uh, the original 1987 Hellraiser and, uh, Hellbound. Which is something I wish I had the time to do. I feel bad about that. I wanted to watch, rewatch the original cause I like it. Um, oh, yeah. and I wanted to reread the book too. Cause I really enjoyed the book. It has been a while, but, um, See, I've never, read the, I've never know, read the book. I, I've oh, never I read the, the book. book. It's available on Kindle unlimited. So I might, uh, give it a try here sometime soon, See, but. And- that's why I thought it was so stupid when these fanboys were like, bah, 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 there's a lady playing Pinhead. Because Pinhead does not have a stated gender. Well, from, from, what, the... I under, from what I understand, uh, and this is just my, because uh, I do have some familiarity with Clive Barker. Uh, so Clive Barker, who yeah. wrote uh, The Hellbound Heart, which Hellraiser is based off of, my understanding is that the description of Pinhead, or more accurately, the Hell Priest, uh, which is how yeah. Pinhead is described or credited in this film. Um, yeah, is, Clive Barker hates the name Pinhead, but we're yeah. using it because it's the colloquial term. It's, it's, it's the, it's the iconic name um and yeah we'll sorry clive barker we respect your yeah we respect your choices here clive barker but no one's yeah, gonna we, know what we we're respect the hell about. out of you clive barker uh but clive barker uh was um he's such an interesting literary figure to me because uh whenever he wrote the hellbound heart um he was either still employed as or had previously worked as uh an employee at a gay bdsm club which If you've seen Hellraiser, makes a lot of sense. But the way that uh, the original Hell Priest was described was basically beyond gender, beyond being identifiable as anything, which kind of helps to sell the the otherworldliness of the Cenobites as creatures. And so, yeah, they are about quote woke pinheads this time around. Yeah. And I, the funny thing was is, is how often, <laughs> unironically, they thought that that Clive Parker was heterosexual. Well, you get the same thing for uh, people who grossly misread uh, Chuck Palahniuk and Fight Club. Um, oh, just- God, yeah. Although, unfortunately, Chuck Palahniuk has kind of uh, gotten off on that 
but, but why is everything so woke, Train? Because, and it, it's probably because, you know, he did spend a lot of time being contrarian. And uh, yeah, sometimes I, I feel like, it's like what like happened with you, John Cleese, uh... too. If you make so much of your career being contrarian, eventually the things that you were originally that's, standing that's, up that's for become of... normal. And then you've got, yeah. It's the danger of embracing edgy satire and making that your identity and to the point where the lines blur and you don't know what is ironic anymore. Yeah, um, see, that's happened with Chuck Palahniuk. It's happened to so many people in the punk community. Um, it's happened to John Cleese and, um, you know, and, and uh, Terry Gilliam. But interestingly, uh, Eric Idle and uh, Michael Palin kind of escaped that. They... Uh, I, I guess they didn't build things off of being contrarian so much. And so it didn't, things haven't hit them as hard. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it's, it's the trap of contrarianism, but yeah, I, I do agree that the the entire point of fight club, both the book and the movie is just so woefully misunderstood by so many of the people that praise it. And it's probably the same people that think that, uh, Clive Barker is straight. Yeah. And so going back to uh, what I was saying, I I did, I did rewatch Hellraiser and Hellbound. um, And I will maintain that those are probably up to this point, up to 2022, the only significantly well done entries in the franchise, because beginning with uh, Hellraiser three, hell on earth, all the way up through, um, the next, what, six sequels? Because this would be the 11th entry with the Hellraiser name. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so one and two are legitimately good films. Uh, Hellraiser, I think, works very, very well as a traditional straight horror movie, body horror. Um, <laughs> very straight straight <laughs> yeah just like well i mean it, it plays within the conventions of what you expect from yeah, no, a, i know i know it's a, just funny because of how deeply deeply queer oh it's, oh, it's, it's so yeah this 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 franchise is queer as hell but and in all the right ways um and it gets it really goes to the next but clearly the next that's step. something that we love to prove speaking yeah, of queer um, horror uh Brian Brian Fuller has a show on Shudder now that's all about the queer history of horror that I would love to watch. Oh, I need and to cover watch that. Time. Definitely. Yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm glad to know that Brian Fuller found someone that is willing to pay his budget. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Shudder. Yeah, we're, all right, we're, yes, we're, keep going. we're such huge fans of Brian Fuller. It like comes up all the time. But anyway, um, so yeah, Hellraiser, the original, uh, stands on its own. Very good, solid entry into 80s horror. Did some things that are ground that were groundbreaking, and you can see sort of the through line and as far as how certain horror movies followed in those footsteps. Uh, mm-hmm. Hellraiser 2. Oh. Well, I don't think it is as uh as perhaps how can I put this? Um, start to finish, I don't think it's as good a film as the first Hellraiser. I want to say that. However, it is a bold next step in the franchise, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and to be perfectly clear, whenever I sat down to watch it again the other day, it was the first time I had sat down and watched it all the way through in several, several years. And so a lot of it I didn't actually remember, and I found myself kind of 
going along for the ride in a way that I hadn't with uh, revisiting a franchise in quite some time. But the special effects work, the soundtrack, um, everything was just... I, I can definitely admire it for going in the direction that it did. Now, from three also, onward, something- not so much. I heard they get really rapey going forward too. And I'm not, that that's not, and that is something that I want to talk about with this one later. Um, and, uh, that's yeah. Well, the, the problem with the, I, with the other Hellraiser entries um, going from, I believe like, <laughs> excuse me, um, number four onward, most of the time it was a situation where uh, they took a script that was already existing and molded it into a Hellraiser entry, which there's not anything specifically wrong with doing that because sometimes you can strike gold and it works. Um, I mean, you look at the uh, you look at the instance of something like Die Hard, which started out as something completely different. Um, it is possible to, or uh, it is entirely possible. I mean, to entire. Entire yeah, franchises are made on people's fan fiction, just with names changed. So. Right. And th- there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but the process became less about uh, we have a good idea for a Hellraiser entry as if we don't make a Hellraiser entry this year, we lose the franchise rights, so let's make this terrible film. And that really got to the point where if you ask people who are true dyed-in-the-wool fans of Hellraiser – they will just go to town on those sequels. And I've heard that there are some later entries in the franchise that actually are appealing for certain reasons, but I, I think that I tapped out at, I believe, number six. Um, so I, I can't really speak so to that. I am going to say something that will make horror fans question my legitimacy as a horror fan. And you know what? Go for it. I don't care. Um, I tend to not watch a lot of horror sequels simply because of the sequelitis stuff. I don't want the, the, the horror and the fear from the original to be like compromised by weaker later installments. Sometimes I feel like over explaining and going into too many backstories and things can kind of ruin the magic in a lot of ways. And so I tend to kind of tap out usually around the second installments on a lot just because I don't, I worry about over explaining. And I think that that's a perfectly valid way to look at franchises because if you look at most horror franchises, whether you're talking about Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, whatever, the further along they go, the more outlandish they get and the further away from the original principle they really they really yeah exactly you look at something like um it's it's become almost a joke a running joke is something like leprechaun you you get you know leprechaun in the hood in space um that's that's the sort of deviation that you get and it's it's funny because also we talked about last episode um probably one of my favorite movies of all time is the original jaws i think it's almost a perfect film and that is a good example of how each successive sequel gets further and further away from the spirit of the original. And while I can sit down and watch Jaws 3 or Jaws the Revenge and enjoy them for what they are, because I, I, I mean, 
look, we made a podcast called Pop and Schlock. You know where my priorities lie. But as much as I can sit there and find some enjoyment in them, at the same time, I understand that that deviation uh, sort of devalues the franchise's value as a whole. And the thing with me is that, like, with horror, sometimes not knowing is so much scarier than knowing everything. I feel like that about, like, like the big moment that I got lost when watching the original Cloverfield movie was when they showed the monster. Because I actually thought it was significantly scarier having no idea what that monster looked like. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's... The, and the I feel like that a lot about... stronger, in my opinion. Right. And see, I feel like less is more is particularly strong in horror. Um, yeah. Like, did and you ever, did you ever watch, did you ever watch Doug when you were a kid? Doug? Yeah. It okay. wasn't my, it wasn't so my favorite. I was more of a Rocco's Modern Life kind of guy, but yeah, gotcha. I watched Doug. Okay, so did, did you see the episode of Doug where he um, goes to see a scary movie and he keeps chickening out every time the monster is shown? I feel like I did. The Abnormal, I think it was. Well, in that in that episode, um, you know, he keeps trying to see this movie with the scary monster. And when he finally sees the monster, it, um, it you can see the zipper on the costume. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that episode. I do. Yeah. And it, it, it kind of, he was like, oh, I'm not so scared anymore. But to me, something like that would kind of ruin it for me. And like I said, I... I like horror when I feel horror. Right. Um, and maybe I'm being a snob, and I, I admit that. Um, well, one of the things that I think a lot of fans of Hellraiser as a franchise will tell you is that as the series went along, it sort of lost its way in terms of what they wanted to portray the Cenobites as being and what, you know, what their ultimate goals were. So one of the things that was so... Uh, Work, what was so efficient about the original Hellraiser and to an extent uh, Hellraiser 2 was the fact that the Cenobites, though they were monsters, they were not the boogeymen in terms of they were malevolent. They just operated by a code that was beyond the understanding of normal mortals. Whereas you get yeah. to Hellraiser 3 and beyond, they sort of just turn into run-of-the-mill Judeo-Christian influenced idea of demons. Yeah. And they, they stop that, being angels to some and demons to others and just be straight up demons. And that makes that's that just completely overrides yeah what makes them so creepy in the first place is the, the fact that they exist so far outside of human understanding of morality. Right. And so I think that's why one and two stand so well on their own is because of the fact that ultimately uh, Pinhead and the Cenobites were not the, the central focus of either of those films because you had the, the whole thing with, Frank's murder plot in the first one where we, I mean, we didn't even really see much of the Cenobites at all in that. And in Hellbound and Hellraiser two, we get a little bit more of a look into their world and we do get more of the Cenobites, but you've got uh, Dr. Channard who becomes a Cenobite really being the central focus there. And it was, 
I feel like it still had a good understanding of what the rules of the lore were, and it hadn't broken down yet. I feel like from part three onward, they just kind of threw things at the wall and uh, were just like, oh, whatever sticks, sticks. And I feel like that was the downfall of the series. Um, now, looking at the new Hellraiser, which obviously we're going to get into some spoilers, um, the one thing that I'll say up which front... Which is very good. It is, it is probably... I would rank it right behind the original two in terms of enjoyability. Now, your mileage may vary depending on exactly how big of a fan you are of Hellraiser and its lore and the rules thereof. Because one of the things that I did have some contentions with with this version of Hellraiser um, is that they did seem to change the rules of the puzzle box arbitrarily, and it made it less effective for me as a viewer. Uh, just you no, know, that is something I want to talk about too because um, what okay, made sure. the I, I I okay, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is. There's a very, very uh, important line in Hellraiser 2 where Pinhead says, it is not the hands that call us, it is the mind. Implying that yes. you can't be manipulated into using the box for others. Like that, that it, The rules were very, very That's clear. Exactly, that. Yeah. Whereas, that was exactly my, my point of contention. Yeah. And Hellraiser 2022, while I will admit it is a very well-put-together film, like, it, it's shot very well, it looks amazing, the, we'll get into the special effects in a little bit, um, I feel like it didn't quite, it needed another pass at the script phase to really hammer down what the rules of this new uh, version of Hellraiser were. Because I feel like... Um, basically the box in this one requires essentially a blood sacrifice of a certain number of individuals in order to unlock a dark wish for whoever is controlling the box. But it's, it's hard to understand because the box passed from person to person so many times who is ultimately going to get that quote unquote reward because um, our antagonist who shows up in the third act who is actually, you know, uh, he's in the, he's in the first scene. He's, uh, he draws somebody in and is used as a sacrifice. Um, he has this mysterious disappearance, but of course he's going to show up in the third act. He shows up in the third act. Um, and the puzzle box transfers from him to our, uh, our protagonist Riley, who I'll get into in a little bit. Um, and then back again, and so it doesn't seem like the Cenobites have any real sense of, like, they don't seem to care who or what is manipulating the box at any one time as long as, like, the meter gets filled. And I feel like there was there were some blurred lines yeah. there that just didn't work for me. Because it ended up with people like Nora having right. these horrible deaths. And, like, it was, it wasn't even scary. It was just, it, it got to torture porny. Yeah, just a little in bit. Those points, and that's not really what Hell Hellraiser's not a torture porn franchise. But I still and, liked it. Yeah, I but still I still was, it. was kind of sad about the innocent people because they the Cenobites yeah, had a 
you know, while they, they exist on a completely different plane of morality than humans, there was still traces of there being human left in that, you know, it's about your desire, right. not your, like not the, who, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like the biggest, uh, sort of the biggest misstep is the fact that, um, our protagonist, uh, Riley, who is a recovering alcoholic, and obviously much of this story is dealing with the concept of uh, addiction thematically. Um, we are meant to understand that this is part of her journey, and it's it's a metaphor, and I get that. And I, I love whenever horror, horror deals with these, uh, with these sort of themes. Um, it also runs contrary to the idea in horror that your protagonist, your final girl, so to speak, um, you kind of want to see them live to the end. So this movie is challenging in that Riley at times is severely, severely unlikable as a person, as a direct result of the fact that we're, we're following the story of an addict and addicts can be unsympathetic. So at its heart, um, it's it's I, I saw somebody say uh, of all the films in this franchise, um, Riley was the most deserving of being hell raised. Um, it was hard to root for her, and the people around her. You, you talked about the innocence they got caught up in it. That's part of what made her unlikable is because because of her actions, people that we actually did like were the ones that ended up getting hurt. So this is a very challenging entry into the Hellraiser franchise, in my uh, perfectly and that, that's ridiculous what I appreciate opinion. about it. Yeah, I, I appreciate that they were going in a different direction and they wanted to challenge the viewer, and there, there's a lot at work there. But sometimes, it, I'll, I'll say, uh, it was about a 50-50 shot as to how much of it worked for the audience. Um, now, that having been said, this is a this is a cast that's made up of largely um, unknown actors, people who do not have uh, high-profile work just about anywhere. These are people who are um, sort of making their bones out there in the acting industry, aside from Jamie Clayton, who uh, plays the Hell Priest and who only, I mean, she only very recently got into acting. Um, I believe that it's only within the last few years that she's started her career. And so she's been on a nice upward tra trajectory, yeah. but um, like she made, her, she made her name in since eight, which I haven't watched yet. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't caught it. This is actually the, the first thing I've seen her in and she was absolutely, yes. I, I agree with, I agree with Doug Bradley. She did a great job. Um, but you've got these, you've got these actors who are not coasting on name recognition um, they are putting their all into the perfor performances, and, and the movie. And honestly, that is to, that. that is to horror's cre like credit too. Is that you want to get some unknowns in there because it it um it, it doesn't make you biased in favor of who should and should not live and things either. Exactly. Like I'm rooting and for them because I like their other movie. Exactly. Um, like the, so, the only the only person that I recognized from the uh from the film that I'd seen in anything previously was uh was Goran Vasinic who played Voigt, um our antagonist. I like I, I recognize him from a couple of Joss Whedon projects and you know other TV shows that I'd seen him in. Um but he was absent for a good majority of the runtime. Um but I mean even going back to the original Hellraiser, Ashley Lawrence, that was her first film. 
Um, so this could be a launching pad for a lot of people based off the fact that um, I get the feeling that this was, it was highly anticipated in terms of a lot of people wanted to see this thing. Um, the trailers got a lot of mixed reactions from what I saw online, but Hellraiser as a franchise, despite all the admittedly not great sequels, still has a lot of goodwill among the horror community. Community, excuse me. So people were really looking forward to this, and I think that the reception has been, for the most part, very, very positive. Yeah. I see very little. I mean, the only people that I ever see really ranting about it is female pinhead. Those people don't matter. Yeah, and and it's not to say that there aren't people who have legitimate criticisms because I I mean I have some criticisms beyond. No, we're going into legitimate criticisms, like yeah. I and again we liked the movie. Yeah, we I liked the movie, but that's about as far as I would go with saying that I liked it. Um, there were some things that I. Thought, I mean, just going beyond the fact that I didn't agree with some of the changes to the lore, which it's a reboot, it's allowed to change the lore to be whatever it wants to be. I didn't like the handling of it. Um, and I will admit that for a film where the pedigree of it was a little bit higher, uh, because this thing was directed by David Bruckner, who made, uh, he did The Night House, which, uh, if you haven't seen that, is just a really unsettling bit of horror. Um, I was kind of expecting a little, something a little bit more solid all around. Um, and what I was not expecting was a film that reminded me so heavily of 13 Ghosts. Um, which admittedly, I actually am a pretty big fan of the film 13 ghosts. I thought it was a really fun bit of early two thousands horror. Um, it's up there with, uh, the movie ghost ship in terms of like my early two thousands guilty pleasure horror films. But for something like Hellraiser, which is a franchise that has inspired so many, uh, copycats, I was hoping for something that was, on par with the originality of the first entry. Um, I was hoping that we would see something that broke some new ground. And unfortunately I feel like this film didn't really break any new ground and maybe that's on me yeah, for expectations. Is, yeah. I don't think it needs to break new ground, I guess is my argument. There, no, I will I say there were needed to. Yeah, I and I think that's maybe just on me as far as expectations. Um, but I feel like if you're going to reboot a franchise like this, um, I'm hoping that you have something to say and you're trying to make a statement with your film in terms of how you approach the concept or the genre of horror. Because whenever you don't, that's when things fall by the wayside a little bit. So going back to, you know, this is the last of the major, um, major horror franchises to get a reboot because everything else has been touched. We had Texas Chainsaw Massacre back in 2003. We had the Friday, uh, the 13th remake. We had the nightmare on Elm street remake. We had, uh, the Halloween, uh, sequel, which uh, we're going to be covering Halloween ends, uh, on our next episode. But if you look at the ones that did it well, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003 sort of set the tone for what horror franchises would look like for about the next 10 years. Um, that Platinum Dunes vibe 
was really what became in vogue after that film hit theaters in 2003. Um, Halloween sort of, or Halloween 2018 sort of followed trend with that in terms of this is how we want to approach horror. Now we're going to be self-reflective about it. We're going to, um, we're going to take an examination of our own continuity. And there were a lot of scripts floating around of like, okay, let's see where we can course correct. I feel like Halloween did that. Whereas you have stuff like uh, nightmare on Elm street and Friday the 13th that were just obviously, okay, well let's follow the formula, put it out there and make some money. And with Hellraiser, this is a film that's been in development for so long. I believe that it's been floating around trying to get made since around 20, like 2010 or thereabouts. So the fact that we've been waiting close to, you know, 10, 11, 12 years for this, I was expecting something perhaps a little bit more polished in what it wanted to say. Oh, interesting. No, I, I guess I, I got what I was expecting. I got yeah. a different take on Hellraiser. Some of yeah. the different takes I really liked and some of the different takes I didn't like. Um, but overall, I thought it was very strong. Um, it and was a very strong. Good and, and, you know, we've, we've kind of talked uh, a lot over the last couple episodes about um, where streaming releases fit in with regards to, you know, finding an audience and are they taken seriously, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I really would have liked this to play in a theater because I do think that in a packed house of Hellraiser fans, this would have been a great experience. It makes me wish that, uh, like, the River Oaks Midnight movies, well, we still had a River Oaks theater to even do Midnight movies. Because uh, right. this would have been a perfect midnight movie. I would have, I would have gone. Yeah, and it's it's in a similar category as something like Prey, which I feel like should have been in theaters. I'm still an advocate for the theater experience. I'm not, you know, slamming streaming because I, you know, I enjoy watching things at home. Um, I've got Halloween Kills queued up on Peacock and ready to go. But at the same time, I would have liked the option to see it in theaters. And um, from what I understand with the situation with prey was uh, a licensing agreement where if they didn't, if they put it in theaters, the streaming rights would have reverted to HBO max. They didn't want to do that. So they said to hell with it. We're going to put it on Hulu and make our money that way. Um, which, the, the the business side of movies sometimes uh, makes enjoying the art side of movies very, very difficult. But that's uh, oh, speaking another as somebody discussion. who works in the inter- I was gonna say, speaking as somebody who works in the entertainment industry, uh, about five or six different exclamation points there. Yeah. Um, There's so much I- on the business side that's like, why? <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's just the way the, that's just the way of the world. But there were a lot of decisions in this film that I really, really liked. Um, so like I said, I didn't care for the change to the lore. I felt like, uh, really the, the second and third act was a little bit derivative, but it's horror. So it gets a pass as long as, as long as it's entertaining. I didn't quite care for how in the second and third acts, the Cenobites, themselves became stereotypical movie monsters chasing people down and things like that. I felt like that was a sort of a deviation from what I expect of the Cenobites in a way that I wasn't 100% on board with. Um, but a lot of the sequences where they were involved in um, were absolutely thrilling. I loved uh, the way the van chase played out 
Um, that was absolutely excellent. Um, I like the design of the Cenobites. Um, I was reading an interview with... Oh, can uh, we please talk about... Yeah, go ahead first. Yeah, I was reading an interview with David Bruckner, and he was talking about how, you know, you go back to 1987, and the, the very concept of, like, BDSM and fetish clothing was so taboo. And so that was shocking in and of itself to see the Cenobites dressed in that way. Just wearing black leather in a room full of chains was shocking and taboo. Um, the, yeah, and they were also in, supposed to be... Um, oh, go ahead. Well, we, we live in the year 2022 now. I was going to say, they now. were supposed to be... Yeah. Finish your thought before I go into my thing. Yeah. No, I was going to say it was not just the BDSM look. It also was supposed to invoke cassocks um, as well as butchery. Mm -hmm. The original. So, yes, heavily, heavily uh, inspired by BDSM. But there was other elements to it in order to make them less human and more surreal. And the cassock, of course, to give it the uh, this kind of religious are you angels or are you demons? And they're wearing, you know, a priest's outfit. Right. That would BDSM overtones. Right. And, you know, reading this interview with Bruckner, he was talking about how in the year 2022, uh, BDSM and fetish clothing, it's not nearly as taboo as it once was. Um, you've got... It's pretty uh, mainstream. Teen- yeah, you've got teenagers talking about eating ass on TikTok. So it's kind of hard to shock based just off of like, oh, fetish clothing. So instead, they went with the idea of, well, let's break down what is the concept of leather. What is leather except tanned animal hide? So you'll notice that the Mm -hmm. way the costumes for the Cenobites are made, it's basically they turned their own flesh into the new leather. And that is... It's amazing. Such an amazing design choice. And I've seen some people claim that they felt like the Cenobites in this version were uh, over-designed. And I don't particularly agree with that. I feel like the look of it was no. uh, was perfect for the vibe we were going for. Um, we still got the Chatterer, who looked amazing in this version. Um, and the version of Pinhead that we got, Hell Priest, um, just so effectively designed. Um, I know... Oh, uh, she looked great. And, and yeah. the thing is, like... I, and and I don't think they looked over-designed because the whole point is that they are trying to pursue sensation and have lost the distinction between pain and pleasure. It makes sense that they would be over-designed like that because they are continuously altering themselves. Right. I think that the... I th- but also, I really liked Jamie Clayton's take on Pinhead as almost like a... not Not technically benevolent but like there was always just a the hint of a smile on her face always yeah the fact just that such you a curiosity see, about humans yeah you could fact the, you could see the fact that she was enjoying uh her role as the hell priest um she was enjoying yeah. the fact that um it's like look at what you know we have such sites to show you she was in, reveling in the fact that she was able to pass along the secrets that the cenobites had to the mortals who unlocked yeah. the mob Okay, so praising, I, I need I need to know, because this is the internet, I have to say that praising Jamie Clayton does not mean that I am uh, insulting Doug Bradley. Doug Bradley is fantastic. He's an icon. Um, he was very, very vocally supportive of Jamie Clayton taking over the role. So I, I'm, not in, I'm not praising her at the expense of dissing him. They both had 
very different approaches to the character. And both of them were very effective given the way that the Cenobites were being portrayed. While I, while I am bothered by the fact that in this one, they don't make a distinction between uh, like the desire to have power and, and control the box and a sacrifice uh, leading to innocent people dying, which some which some which was something that I liked about the original Cenobites because it it still tied them back into the fact that they were human once and had a, it was a grounding mechanism. In this, I understand that that choice was made to show that they are not just otherworldly, but above human, you know, human human thought of what constitutes good, bad, because um, to them torturing and killing people they they see it as a gift right it's uh, an, they they're trying to they're trying to pass along an unknowable experience right. to the people who yeah. are able to unlock the box and they can't comprehend the idea that what they're offering is something that you wouldn't want because hey you opened the box. The problem lies with in the the rules of this rebooted version yes. that you can sort of accidentally tie yourself to the box, and that right. sort of dilutes the message of what it is that the Cenobites are offering. Right, and but again, though the way that the Cenobites were portrayed ties into the way that. Pinhead is portrayed, and both of them I thought were excellent given the circumstances under which their characters were the, the role that their characters were supposed to play in the story. Right, and in so, both instances of Hellraiser, whether you're talking about um, the original the original franchise or this reboot, uh, Pinhead, Hellpriest, however you want to give the give the name, that entity is always presented with an air of authority in terms of they have a distinct level of when they're speaking, the other Cenobites are listening. Uh, It happened a lot with Doug Bradley in the, uh, in Hellraiser one and two. And you could also see it in play here. That never changed. They have gravitas. Um, They have gravitas. You can understand why they are the leader. Yeah. And it was just, they were, the way that that authority and gravitas was portrayed was a, a little bit different because obviously Doug Bradley was a little bit more, he was bigger, more bombastic. Um, but I think that had more to do with the time period in which that Hellraiser was made than anything else. Uh, Jamie Clayton. Right. I mean, yeah, Jamie Clayton. In, in, in the time period in, in which it was made. Okay, so in the in the original, obviously BDSM is a much hot, is a much bigger overtone mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, Doug Bradley is going to, for lack of a better way of phrasing it, act like a top. Yeah, we're in. It's not that's not to say that Jamie Clayton doesn't also play in that arena because you will see right. a lot of you will see a lot of dominants who are in that same vein that sort of they they don't have to raise their voice because they understand the position that they are in it's they right. recognize Jamie Clayton is more of a soft Jamie Clayton's a soft top yeah well it's it's just a, a, a sort of thing where 
she is sort of expecting the respect that is due to her as a result of her position. It's like you, she exuded that sort of authority without even having to open her mouth. And when she did speak, I, I liked the performance. I I loved what she did with the character, the slight modulation of the voice. uh, It it really did work for me. Um, All of my, all of my negativity stems from the fact that I just do not enjoy the rule changes, Um, which. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. I mean, that's really all it boils down to because everything else I can get on board with. Um, Like I said, there are. The only thing. I I did make a joke to you in private. um, And I am. It's it's so mild as to really not even be a problem, but I do kind of miss the uh, like soap opera soft lighting. Yeah. That they had in the first one. I love the lighting in the original Hellraiser. The original original Hellraiser. Because it was very different. Well, the original Hellraiser was made for. It was extremely different now. The original Hellraiser was made for right at a million dollars on their budget. And so it was was shot like a low budget film. And that's part of the charm. That's part of why uh, it endures is because it very much looks like a snapshot of what, um, what transcendent horror looked like at the time. And they made the most out of their budget because the special effects that were on display at that point, absolutely amazing. Well, again, the soft focus soap opera lighting, it does not look like other horror movies because of it. Right. And it also underscores the twisted love story in mm-hmm. the aspect as well. Um, so obviously I'm not going to be like, well, they, they didn't do it, so it sucks, because that's terrible criticism. But uh, it would have been fun. But I understand no, why they it- didn't do it. I don't think contemporary audiences would appreciate it the way that we would. No, and the way that this one was shot makes complete sense because if you took the Cenobites out of it, um, a film about a recovering addict would probably be shot like this. The yeah. sort of the sort of color palette, the uh, the, the way that it was shot, it, well, especially it's the very scene much in the line. park. Yes, yes, the scene was, in the park, especially. Yeah. yeah. So, I like the way that it was filmed. It looks good. Um, one of the one of the things that I enjoyed about it was that it didn't look like they cut corners with regard to uh, really anything because the special effects were no. great. And one of the things that I was afraid of when I saw that they were remaking this, because I love the practical effects of the original Hellraiser. I absolutely love them. So oh, got Frank, Frank coming out of the floor. Yes, absolutely amazing. Just a, oh, it's an iconic moment of special effects and horror. Like that is that is on par with something that you would see in Carpenter or Cronenberg. All right, so yeah, the um the, the special effects in the original 1987 one, uh, it's it's part of what makes its charm, you know, um and. I, I love the special effects that were on display there. You talked about, you know, Frank coming out of the floorboards and how memorable that was. Not only that, but um, the the finale, the Jesus wept scene with the chains pulling uh, pulling them apart. Um, that's that's the sort of stuff that 
you know, sticks in your mind. And the practical effects of the original Hellraiser and the stop motion effects in Hellraiser 2, they still, I mean, they may be dated, but they're part of what makes those movies so unique and so uh, rewatchable. Same way that, you know, the special effects in the Evil Dead trilogy, they're not, they're not, what we would consider mind-blowing by modern standards, but they're what give the film its, excuse me, its charm. And so, and so I wouldn't yeah, trade that also, for anything. Yeah, go ahead. We had these discussions, especially last week with the Jurassic Park, practical CGI has not caught up to where it makes things look tangible yet. Yeah, there's, there's still um, a major uncanny valley effect going on. Yeah, I mean, we if when we do a She-Hulk episode, like I know that the practical effects artists at Disney are not treated well at all, mm-hmm. and it kind of shows. And yeah. I, I, I loved the show, but sometimes, but the the lack of practical effects was kind of distracting, and it 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 uh, harmed the tangibility. That's that's a that's a discussion for another day. Great show, love She-Hulk. Um, yeah, but if you look your, at treat your backup look- artists better. Yeah, but if you look at Hellraiser 2022, um, and I've found some stuff from uh, some of the VF, uh, VFX artists that have been floating around uh, the internet, and some things that you would think were done with CGI were done practically. So the uh, like the gaping body wound coming together and reforming, I thought CGI, yes! no, no, entirely practical. That's because it had the tangibility. That's why it looked so good. Yeah, and and I love to see it because I feel like, to an extent, uh, visual effects in that practical realm is sort of a dying art, and that's unfortunate to say because I, I think that a lot of filmmakers think if I can do it cheaper uh, through CGI, I will. But you cannot discount the value that good practical effects bring to the table. It's the, the argument about the... Um, the whenever they did the reboot of the thing with uh, with Mary Elizabeth Winstead, the yes. film was shot very, very famously shot with practical effects, but then they went back and overdid everything with CGI. Um, and that was and why I, I ended up. I decided not to watch it because of that. Because yeah. what made the original thing such a terrifying and compelling view was everything was practical. Yeah, and it was I mean, terrifying. I mean, that's, it's, that's, that's it's still, it still sticks with you. It really does. The Thing is one of those movies that is just, if, if you want to point to a film that is just like the thesis statement for practical effects sell the movie, The Thing is my number one go-to. I absolutely love that film. Um, and I absolutely love the, the effects in it, the cast. John Carpenter was firing on all cylinders with that one. With Hellraiser 2022, the blend of... Practical effects and CGI works very, very well, and I think yes. part of and you know, even even the ending where they turn the um, the what's the where, bad guy's where name? Gets, uh, get, where Void gets uh, turned into a centibite. Yeah, I do. I know that that was not practical effects, but it worked because of the way that they lit it made it look made, made it yeah, look the, sufficiently. The the lighting and the staging that was was excellent, especially whenever you compare it with uh, Doctor Channard in in Hellraiser Two. Um, very yeah. similar visceral effect, ni- but it's just yeah, done it was nightmarish. But 
Right, exactly. So I I really liked the, I think the Leviathan scene at the end where he's turned into a Cenobite is a good example of when, of them using visual effects right. And I wonder if, it, I wonder sometimes if it's, they if they actually treated the VFX artists well to get good results. Yeah. Pay your artists better. Come on. Well, the, the, the visual effects artist for this film seemed really proud of what they had done. And I'll, t- I'll tell you what it reminds, what this movie reminds me of quite a bit. Um, now that I think about it is uh, the remake of evil dead that we got a few years back. Um, down to the fact that that film was also about uh, addiction. Um, there seems to be a very, tangible love for the franchise and what it stands for. Um, obviously, uh, David Bruckner l- loves Hellraiser um, because if you look at um, some of his previous work, some of the ideas and the themes creep into it. Um, there are references to Hellraiser in uh, the Nighthouse. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see when you've got a filmmaker who cares about the franchise that they're working on and wants to put their own stamp on it and knows what worked so well about previous installments, um, but isn't afraid to do something different. I think that's whenever you get magic. I think the best thing that I can say about Hellraiser 2022 is that it wasn't afraid to do its own thing. It wasn't beholden to the original Hellraiser. Um, And while I don't agree, I disagree with the lore changes. I want to say that again, it doesn't mean that it's an, it's not an enjoyable film and that it doesn't stand up because I yeah, 100% believe that this is the best Hellraiser film we've seen since probably 1988. And I would not be surprised if based off of the reception that it's got, that we don't get somebody else trying to take a crack at Hellraiser sequels in this version of the universe. And perhaps when they get a better feel for what the rules are and what they want to do with it, um, we could really see lightning in a bottle. Um, I do think yeah, the movie the probably is, could have been about 30 minutes shorter, but that's a discussion for another time. Yeah, but even if I don't agree with the changes that we've discussed, that doesn't, A, again, that doesn't make it a bad movie, and B, still good on them for doing something different. Yeah. I think that's great. I think they deserve credit for that. Because the biggest, the biggest thing that I will say about this movie is they could have just straight up remade Hellraiser, um, tried to tell that same story with with Frank and Kirsty and you know all, all the characters that we know and the story beats that we know and expect. They could have just done a straight remake. They didn't, and I feel like that is the strongest selling point for this. In that. I mean, honestly, had they stuck to the the rules of the original lore, this could have just been Hellraiser Eleven. Um, but instead, they said, "Okay, we're gonna we're we're gonna update the lore. We're gonna give it its own rules, and we're gonna do our own thing." And while I don't agree that it, I don't think it stuck the landing. I appreciate the fact that it try that it tried to do what it did in the first place. Yeah, it yeah it it tried something new. Just because it didn't land with us doesn't mean it was wrong. Um, I'm just no, glad and that I've, they tried and something. I've, I've seen several people with uh, whose opinions I greatly agree with on on most things who say it's like this is just as good as the original. And if you believe that, then you're not you're not wrong because several yeah, people share that someone, opinion. If someone step, if I saw someone say that, 
I would not feel compelled to step in and write an essay about this is why you're wrong. <laughs> no. And the, the, here's, here's what I'm, here's what I'm going to say is kind of my final piece on this. Cause I do want to wrap things up because we're coming to the end of our hour. Um, if you look at Hellraiser 2022 and you look at Hellraiser in 1987, the one thing that will have me going back to Hellraiser 1987 over this is the fact that it is a breezier movie in that you can sit down and that hour and a half just flies by. I do feel like some of the pacing of Hellraiser 2022 is a little bit slower. And I feel like once the Cenobites are introduced, things kind of do, uh, kind of grind to a halt for a little bit whereas hellraiser 1987 just keeps on moving just keeps going um i think so, breezy is a very accurate descriptor yeah so in that i feel like that's where hellraiser the original has the edge um but from a technical standpoint and in terms of really appreciating what a film can do i feel like hellraiser 2022 is something that next year i'm probably going to revisit it I'll probably sit down and throw this one into the, uh, the the spooky movie month rotation because I feel like it's admirable and there's enough of it that I enjoyed that, yeah, I'm going to revisit it, which that's the biggest thing that I can say for a horror film is rewatchability plays a big factor in how I rate these things. Um, so, for example, um, we're going to be doing Halloween Ends as our next entry. I'm not bothering to rewatch Halloween Kills before I jump into that one because there's oh, not any... Really I, I didn't like that one, and it's really sad that that was poor Vincent's last episode with us, because yeah. he, he deserved better. Yeah. Um, so, I'm not going to go back and revisit that. Um, if they do a sequel to this, I will most definitely go back and rewatch this before I go into the next <laughs> one, and I feel like that's, that's, a, that's a mark in the plus category. That's a win for this. And so, yeah, and the thing is, if somebody asked me, Meredith, which of the two do you recommend? My response would be yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say, hey, watch them both and decide which one is better. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say the original is is superior. No, don't bother with the remake. I would say there's some differences to both, and I think it's probably better that you watch them both and decide for yourself. But they're both very strong and very good, and you know, I, I I can't in good faith recommend one over the other because everybody's taste in horror and thoughts regarding what should and should not work for horror is different. Yeah, so. my, my question, if someone asked me for a recommendation of this or the original, um, my follow-up question would just be, well, how much time do you have? Because, um, oh, if you, because the, like I said, the original was about 30 minutes shorter and it's it doesn't feel like as much of a time investment. Um, and... I feel like whatever if, – if somebody I knew said, hey, I want to I get a good feel for what Hellraiser is um, as a franchise, I feel like I would probably recommend the original because if you like the original and you like the concepts and the way that the ideas are portrayed, um, you could probably watch the rest of the series um, and find things to like in all of them. Um, if you – are introduced to Hellraiser through this one and then go back trying to find uh, things to like about it, you may find yourself disappointed. Um, but I, I, I could be wrong about that. This could be a great entry gateway to Hellraiser for a lot of new fans, and I hope that that's the case because there is um, 
you, you know, we talked about the devaluation of a franchise over time as we started this episode, but there are, even in the later entries, there are things that people will go to bat for, um, interesting ideas and things that worked. So you, who knows? I don't consider myself to be the definitive expert on the franchise. But also, um, I think too, uh, the, the, the shock value and what was being commented on in Hellraiser, the original is some of it is still relevant, but I don't think it's as relevant in its commentary as the most recent one. So I think that would be another determining factor is how, I personally like, think that, how much. I, I, yeah, I was just going to say, I, I personally, I personally think that if you're going to get somebody into Hellraiser, you, you know what, go start with number four. Uh, just, just jump in with bloodlines um, because uh, I mean, it does feature a young Adam Scott. Um, so it has that going for it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I honestly, honestly, I, I feel like a lot of it has to do with your sensibilities, not necessarily as a horror fan, but your sensibilities as a movie watcher because Hellraiser 2022 does feel very much in line with the way that it is very modern in its sensibility of construction, just in terms of, uh, the, the pacing, the production value, how the, the visual effects are integrated, um, the sensibilities of how the Hell Priest pen, uh, Pinhead are presented to the audience. Um, it, it's, it's very modern in its construction. So yeah. I think your mileage of how much you're going to enjoy a, the original Hellraiser versus this one is just, uh, you know, the production of the original, how on board are you going to be with, as you said, like the soft lighting and the effects and the, the, uh, the performances it's, it's really more with how do you view, um, how do you view movies more than how do you view horror? If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know what? Um, just jump in wherever you like. I feel like there's a lot to like in, in either interpretation. Yeah. I I am glad that we live in a time where um both of both of these exist and we have more to choose from. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy that we got to see this reboot. I'm finally happy that it came to light. Um my my one little bit of sadness again is that uh is that our friend Vincent couldn't be here to debate this with us because i think he would have had so much to say and so much to add to this episode that um neither of us bring to the table because um while i have you know i'm on the fringe of enjoying horror films um i'm i'm not an aficionado the way that so many are um i wish that he could have been here to explore this uh this episode with us and that's that's really the only you know like I've said before, I am a horror fan, but I, I'm i also a horror fan that doesn't have a lot of time. So something yeah. is going to have to, something is going to have to grab me in order to get me to watch it. Um, and I'm not talking about this elevated horror nonsense. Horror is horror. Uh, to say that some is, is elevated. It's, it's no, I'm not into that. It's, something just has to grab me. Hellraiser 2022 grabbed me as a fan of the original, as a fan of the book, um, and just being really interested in seeing what new thing they brought to the table. I liked the trailer. 
I liked uh, the Jamie Clayton casting. So yeah, this is this is definitely a movie where, um, honestly, you know, uh, approaching it, you and I are more fans just of film in general. So we are as a film podcast looking at it. That's that's the the, the way that we're looking at it. This is not yeah, um, we are not a horror podcast um, trying to break down Hellraiser. We're a film pro- podcast trying to break down Hellraiser, and that's the point of view that we bring to right. it. Yeah, and, and so, I do. But the thing is, though, I, I still love horror. Like I have X uh, checked out from the library. Oh, uh, do that you? I need to watch. Oh, That's yeah. on. It's um, it's on my list. It's on. I have my X, list. and then once once Pearl is out, I'm gonna get Pearl as well. But like, yeah. I have some friends. They watch every single horror movie that comes out, and I'm like, I love that. I think yeah. that's awesome I, because I, I, they have such. They have a wider range of, they have a wider range of the genre to look at and analyze and compare with that we don't have. But I also, I, I just don't have the time um, to commit the way that they do to horror. I, I, and I, I wish I that did, I could. I, I wish that I could do that so that I had a frame of reference to bring two episodes like this. Um, but also, um, I, I, I also love that my limited scope allows me to be impressed a little bit more than some of the, the jaded horror fans that I know. Um, I'm really excited. Uh, I saw that uh, Barbarian is getting an early release on HBO Max later this month, and I've heard nothing yeah. but good things. So I want. I, I can't wait to attack that. We'll have to do an episode on that, because I have heard everyone that I know that has seen it has said, go in knowing as little as possible, trust me. So I have been, I've been doing my best to avoid it, but I also have a notification set up for when it drops on HBO Max so we can watch it. Yeah, um, I definitely have to, I definitely have to jump into that. And we'll, that, that, a point of discussion for that episode will probably be um, how much enjoyment do you get from something whenever you go in completely blind? Because I hate to say it, but it, but some of you have probably already seen the rant that I dropped on Twitter where um, uh, She-Hulk was spoiled for me before I was even home for the day. Like people could not wait 24 hours to spoil that episode just because they had to be the first ones to get their stupid fucking cynical hot takes in. And it, I, I have to admit, oh, it took away some of the enjoyment of the episode for me because I knew what was, what was in we, store. And can um, we, I'm, can we do? Yeah. But can we do a She-Hulk episode? Oh, we're gonna do a She-Hulk episode because let me tell you something. People have to click on our podcast to get to the spoilers. They didn't boldface throw it out onto Twitter um, within six hours of the episode dropping. Um, so yeah, but. We'll get to that episode. Yeah. Um, so let's we'll, we'll wrap up our uh, our analysis of Hellraiser in saying that I think it is a worthy installment. Um, I enjoyed a good eighty percent of what it brought to the table. I'm happy that it exists, and I'm glad that we were able to do this episode. I'm sorry that Vincent couldn't be here with us. I hope that um, you know I don't know what I believe about what happens to us when we're gone, but I hope that he was able to experience what this movie put out there um, wherever he is, because I think that he too would find some enjoyment in it. And I hope that he did. So, yeah. Yeah. We, we miss you and love you, Vincent. Um, thank you for being a part of our show and thank you for all the love and passion that you brought to horror fandom as well as comics in general. 
Um, yeah. We, we you, hope that you this t- episode did you memory justice. Yeah, and you 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 brought a a lot of creative light into this world, and you're you're definitely you went away too soon, and we're gonna miss you. And uh, we hope that we did right by you with this episode. And next week we will be examining Halloween uh, Halloween ends and. I hope that I have something to say about that one as well, because some people that I trust have told me some things and they said, I don't want to pepper your, uh, I don't, I don't want to, uh, color your, your enjoyment of it, but I know what you're going to think. And, um, that alone makes me apprehensive. So join us next week as we dive with the, uh, with the funeral for the Halloween franchise. So, Yes. We yeah, I really had a lot of problems with the last one. Yeah, and I don't know how I'm going to feel about the next one. I've got it queued up and ready to go. So, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We will see you next week. Um hopefully you will join us as we examine Halloween ends and uh if you haven't seen Hellraiser, I don't know why you've been listening to this episode, but maybe you should go check that out. So, um, Maybe they yeah. just like the sound of our voices. I do have an amazing voice. I have been told Maybe repeatedly by yeah, myself. You do. It's very pleasing. <laughs> I've told anyway. you that you have been like, I've told you that too. And yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure that Tori has as well. Yes, she has. And you know what? I want to stop us now because this episode managed to get to the end without getting especially dark. So we're going to cut it off now and we will be back next week. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.